Welcome to the first clanky, slithery beginnings of Robot Kraken. This is Chris, and I have a second podcast, Deeply Dapper Dispatches, and these first zero episodes are from that podcast, where Tom and I started our rambling talks and decided to break off from 3D, which is primarily horror and retro-inspired geek stuff, and start Robot Kraken, where we can go a little different direction, but still be the same rum-fueled ship of madness that you dig about Deeply Dapper Dispatches. Enjoy! Greetings, pod people. This is Christopher McClanahan reporting to you from the Fortress of Smallitude, and these are the Deeply Dapper Dispatches. Our finest gifts we bring Welcome to Deeply Dapper Dispatches. It is December 3rd, and this week on 3D, we discuss some big comic book trailers, Star Wars, spoiler-proofing, and because it's December, Christmas traditions and toys. But first, introductions are in order. As always, I am Christopher McClanahan, and this week I am joined by the dulcet demon, Tom. The <laughs> dulcet demon. <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah, this is Tom of Third Rail Design Lab. Yes. Joining and us I- again. <laughs> and you've really boosted my confidence and self-esteem with that intro. <laughs> this is the the soberer, well, slightly soberer of my podcast co-hosts. <laughs> <laughs> just just this time, don't don't. Yeah, don't are, let... are you drinking anything, sir, for drink check? Are we doing drink check already? It is. It's it goes introduction the then drink check. My, I was riding high on the dulcet tones of my voice. <laughs> I felt sassy and savvy and in the know. That's all right. Let's do drink check. Yes, I am. When it's time to relax after a tough day, you owe yourself the best tasting beer you can find. Yes, I am. I cracked the beverage right before we started. It's a 21st Amendment brewery back in black. Black IPA. Black. This is a a local brewery. um, And uh, I have to say, it's sort of a ripoff of Guinness. <laughs> but in a good way, though. <laughs> is it an IPA, a pale ale? I mean, isn't that what that stands for? It it is, but it's but it drinks like a Guinness, right? It doesn't have the <laughs> the thickness of a stout, right? But it definitely has that pithy, uh, you know, interesting. It's in the back of the throat kind of thing. Okay. So if you're, you know, if you, if you were if you were landlocked into IPAs because you were a hipster of a certain age, right. but you really wanted to try a darker beer like a stout. Um, you would use Back in Black by 21st Amendment. So this Amendment. is a dark, pale ale. <laughs> it's confusing, I know. And, and we're not supposed to think too much about it. The, the can is black. Oh. So. And it's an ACDC-themed beer, which is always <laughs> nice. <laughs> Hope so. I'm drinking a Sam Adams Holiday Porter, nice. uh, which claims to be a... Full-flavored porter inspired by the famous drink of London's Victorian-era luggage porters. <laughs> because that's a normal inspiration. Uh, it's uh, yeah. And of course, you know, that's probably secretly an IPA, too. Right, right. That's what sells today. It does. My brother hates them. So I have to go out of my way to try and avoid buying IPAs for the podcast that we do with him. Because he won't drink those. And I don't have a clue why, but... Okay, Something. first of all, no one doesn't drink the beer because they have an opinion. <laughs> right. It's free. It's there. They should be drinking it, too. That's the second time 
in what a week that I've heard from so- that someone didn't like IPAs, which kind of surprised me. Hmm. The only beer that I don't particularly like is the sort of diluted American beer, right? And then in the wrong context, um, very light blonde Mexican beers, right? If it's oh yeah, with yeah. Mexican food, it's a hot day; they're great, and you know if they're lukewarm and in the wrong environment, I don't like them. But yeah, otherwise, those, those have like to be all- a cold beer, absolutely. Yeah, it, but otherwise, I like all the different varieties of beer, and I and. You know, variety is good, right? But until recently, I didn't know that people had a negative opinion of IPAs until uh, one of my best friends, Carl, says, I don't like IPAs, as I handed him <laughs> one. Now, key point, though, he drank it. Right. He drank several of them, but he expressed that opinion. And I had just read an article recently on, you know, some link bait site that was talking about, the, you know, some sort of beer snob criticizing how popular IPAs were with the hipster community, mm-hmm. which I thought was strange because, you know, I'm in a microcosm here in the Bay Area and I didn't right. know whether IPAs were popular here versus anywhere else. But I thought hipster beer was PBR and stuff like that. So I'm too old. I don't know. I right. Know. Yeah. I, like I know that it is getting a lot harder to find, like, the variety packs of beers yeah. that doesn't have an IPA included in it or multiple IPAs. So it's definitely getting pretty widespread in that respect. Yeah. Um, my brother doesn't like them because he says there's some sort of weird taste in the back of his throat when he drinks it. Well, that, I can understand that. They, yeah. they definitely have a bitterness to them, right? Yeah, I think that's what it is. And I'm I'm more of a fan of... The darker beers, like I like Guinness, that kind of thing. Yep. So this this one's all right. It's it just tastes like beer. There's not anything distinctive. It does not taste like a porter or anything like that, or at least not a Victorian luggage <laughs> porter. <laughs> <laughs> Getting you know thirty cents a thirty cents a month to carry bags for people. Well, yeah. uh, also I didn't really drink uh, beer until sort of the tail end of college when I started working at a a bar. Well, I should say a liquor store slash uh, deli mm-hmm. drink, drinking, drinking establishment right. with a deli in it. Right. So we had a lot of stuff on tap <laughs> nice. and then we imported a lot of beer. So we had a very large selection of beers there. And I started trying different beers, you know, one every, at the end of every shift just to, cause I didn't like beer and I wanted right. to be more educated in the differences. And that's how I grew to like the variety in the brewing of beer, but I was never a drink a six pack guy. I, yeah, was always a, yeah. I was always a liquor guy. Right. Right. But um, I, I do tend to lean towards the darker beers as well. Um, I prefer my stouts that drink like a meal. Yes. So, <laughs> yes. I like I my, my bread-flavored beer. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I, I was never a beer drinker either. In fact, I've probably had more beer this year than my rest of life combined kind of thing. Because I would either drink the hard alcohol or I was just a friggin' soda guy or something like that. I wasn't the the beer drinking type. And my brother, he worked at a place very similar to what you're saying. They worked, it's the deli with the bar in the back and they do like the pizza bombs and all that shit. And that's where like all of his friends and my family, like I'm about the only person in my circle of friends here that never worked there. Mm -hmm. And all of them came out of that place like loving beer and talking about it all the time and i'm like i guess i should learn to like it so i'm working on my attitudes also my attitudes about alcohol have changed over time and i don't think this is inconsistent with um a lot of other people when they get into their 40s but you know your your palate changes i noticed this about cuisine as well um we're taking a detour for the moment to talk about aging and what it does to your palate (laughs) you know like i'm my whole life i didn't eat uh spicy peppers and 
and, and stuff like that. And now I can't get enough of hot sauces, right? And chilies and eating the chilies directly and pepper, ground pepper, like like hand like black, black pepper. peppercorn. Yeah. Uh, my whole life I avoided that, and now I like it. And How again, funny. and when I think about what I drink, um, you know, I used to be drinking clear liquors and and. You know, it was more a delivery system for things. Right. Um, and now I'm most interested in what? Drinking a beer and whiskeys and ryes, right? right. So and it's all just about these, straight with just some ice kind of thing. Yeah, right. It, it, but it's about, you know, um, drinks with a very distinct and strong flavor. So right. maybe there's something something to what I've read in some places that you get to be my age and, you're, and you're, uh, you know, your taste beds are sort of slowly failing. Yeah. So <laughs> You've got you know, to find ways to stimulate them. Pain, I, no, I don't know. Maybe that's why. But I found that my palate's really changed as far as what I'm interested in in food too. Like when I was a kid, I would not eat onions at yeah. all. I could not stand it, and now I put onions in everything. But I'm still not a huge fan of raw onion. But I do like it cooked or like just slightly cooked. But like those burritos we ate in, uh, at Ape, there's no way yeah. I could have eaten all that hot orange sauce previously it was like like that's something 10 years ago yeah oh actually it intensified in the fridge over the last couple weeks too like well we haven't had any in the last couple weeks but over the weeks after ape that orange sauce we got from the mexican restaurant just got hotter and hotter and it finally got to the point where my wife was like i can't eat this anymore because it's gonna make me like the insides burn up kind of thing (laughs) well plus you know that's not like having a you know, a, bo- a bottle of del- delicious Cholula in your fridge—that's something with a shelf life, and you're you're right. actually trying to burn it off. And you brought back, you know, six vats of it. Yeah. So at that point, when you were putting it on your cereal and whatnot, I'm sure it was sort of. Like, <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely it, intensified. The vinegar flavor of it was getting a lot stronger as well, and so uh-huh. that was at the point where I was like, "Eh, it's probably not going bad per se, but it's not it getting rotten. good." Yeah. <laughs> Well, should we move on to this just in with the news? I'm not wearing any pants. Film at 11. Let's do that. Let's talk about the news and what's been happening. All right. So, obviously, the big thing, I think, would have to be Marvel and DC. Like, like I went to a bunch of different sites. I usually only go to 4 or 5 to find my geek news. And then, of course, I go to R3. But... <laughs> um, by R3, do you mean the Third Rail Design Lab? Yes, the Third Rail forum Design Lab Forum. To support the website which is and all of our an exclusive membership. You have to apply to see anything because it's top secret otherwise. But it is a quality website full of fine artists and comedians. <laughs> I like it. I like that website. It is a good that, website. I've been going there for like to to. nigh on a decade or so. Um, but I, there's really not a lot of news besides Star Wars, Marvel, and DC movies. That's about it. <laughs> well, it's not, it's not going to be a, um, a surprise to anyone listening to this that we're going to be talking about these things. Um, Marvel, DC, Star Wars. And it's been this battle yeah. of content, which I feel like I normally associate this with spring, you know, ha- entering into the summer movie season. Right. But it's happening at a time that has it seems to me been more of a dead, a dead zone for movies. And yeah. I know it was never really a blockbuster season per se. Well, well, yeah. You know, there were movies that were targeting the Christmas holiday and, uh, you know, kid family movies and, and, you know, stuff like that. There right. was always action movies that would come out. I mean, I saw Sherlock Holmes on Christmas and 
few others, but I don't remember. And of course, part of this is this this expanded cycle of mark marketing. I mean, they are right. marketing the blockbusters of next summer, but they just happen to be slapping us in the face with it now. Right? Yeah. The, yeah. I mean, when does Batman versus Superman come out? It's like spring, well, right? It comes out two days before my birthday. So oh, so March then. I'm going to be having to put a lot of work into um, avoiding another one-eyed movie experience. Yeah, yeah. This does not look like. Is. I I don't think a Zack Snyder movie is necessarily the best one to go in on blueberries and uh, seven pints of whiskey necessarily. Yeah, we're going to try our hardest <laughs> to, to have, you know maintain a strong recollection of past and present while watching it and afterwards because right. um, I have this the short list, as you know, of movies that I've seen over the last year and a half or so that I have to that I have them in the queue to rewatch so that I can attempt to wa- watch them with enough sobriety to <laughs> to remember what movie I'm seeing and why people are doing it. Right. <laughs> and you have delicious whiskey beforehand and you'd say, well, I'm going to I'll have I'm going to have three or four only and then go into the <laughs> Right. For some reason, it doesn't work so well. But, you know, the other thing I was thinking um, this morning as my kids were tearing into their Star Wars advent calendars was that, you know, we've been talking for years now about how, you know, this concept of geek culture being mainstream and how, you know, what used to be, uh, you know, kids getting together and talking about comics in the basement or role-playing gamers sitting around the table uh, dorking out and then their contemporaries are out playing sports or doing other real life things. Right. And now, you know, Facebook is a great example. Uh, People that you know that you maybe didn't realize were into some of these things, they're all babbling about the same stuff, and it's all Star Wars. It's astounding to me. It's crazy, yeah. I'm getting questions from my mother about Star Wars. I've got coworkers talking about it, (laughs) random people on the social media sites, you know – Star Wars toy products and all this stuff. And I don't know. It's an exciting time for that. If yeah. You it's it's and, and, really yeah. unusual in a lot of ways. Like my father-in-law has always been that guy that if a movie has something in it that couldn't happen in real life, he loses interest immediately. Right. And so for science fiction in particular and fantasy, he had absolutely no interest in it unless it was animated, in which case he would watch it. And over the last few months, Lindsay, my wife, has started introducing the Star Wars movies to her mom. And my dad, my father-in-law, Rich, kind of got into these and started watching them. And he's like, these are movies from back when I was... I I remember seeing these when I was in college. And, And it's funny for him because it's... It's one of these genres and kind of a cultural thing that he was aware of kind of peripherally, but yeah. never realized how huge they were until now. And it's, it's yeah. funny. Well, it, it, and also, whether, you know, whether it's superhero films uh, and superhero properties and TV and, and, and film that are mainstream enough that average people are talking about them to... And, and actually, I associate that more with Game of Thrones than I do with superhero stuff. Yeah. Certainly see superhero talk from a lot of different uh, places in mainstream culture right now in a way um, that, I, that I don't remember the, ever being before. No, right? no. And certainly the popularity of the movies and the TV shows, having all of these products in development, having a number of fairly faithful superhero properties on TV, on broadcast television, right. surprised when I think about it. But, but still – 
Game of Thrones was the one that really threw me that, you know, it was suddenly water cooler talk, a really yeah. arcane, violent, complex, Political. Yeah. really strange fantasy show that all of a sudden, and it's not like, I mean, Harry Potter got, got a lot of mainstream interest. Right. As, right. you know, people that were never really into science fiction or fantasy were all of a sudden reading these giant books and talking about it, and their kids right. were. And then, you know, so I, I see that this is an evolution from that. But it's one thing to imagine, you know, your average, your average person who mm-hmm. doesn't follow genre stuff at all uh, to get into Harry Potter. Because it was oh, absolutely. very accessible and it has yeah. that, you know. It's designed around those mythological tropes, the the right. magic that everybody's aware of. Yeah, it's well, like it's also, designed to be accessible. Well, and like Star the original Star Wars, the narrative was grounded in the newbie that is entering into and exploring these worlds at a very simple level. Right. Like it, you know, Harry Potter. I, granted, I admit I've read two chapters of one book, but I can't <laughs> avoid having a fairly good understanding of the content. Um, you know, she didn't hit the readers over the head with a lot of arcane backstory. No, not even remotely. She eased into it, right? Right. And in the same way, the original Star Wars did that. But Game of Thrones, there was no easing into anything. No. You just dive right in and there's heads flying at you, right? Yeah. It astounded me that, you know, I was at my dentist's office and someone was, you know, so, some, like, someone was talking about Game of Thrones to me and I was like, wait a minute. Who's the last person I thought was, you know, I know for a fact you don't, you don't read – Anything like this. You read it. You don't watch it. Right. This is completely left field. And so the popularity of Super's stuff in the mainstream culture now is neat. It is. But I don't feel like I'm walking around in my day-to-day and, you know, my – you know, the the UPS driver – it's a bad example because I know my drivers, but you know, the <laughs> UPS driver is going to show up and say, "Hey, what would you think of that Superman trailer?" Right. right. But I, but right now, that's everyone, happening. Yeah. Everyone and friend Frank is wandering around with a Star Wars shirt on or something. Right. Right. It, it, it's it's bigger than any. This obsession with the new Star Wars film is bigger than all of the super stuff combined. Yeah. Some of mainstream acceptance of it, the nostalgia factor for people of my age, the you know, the, hey. Hey, you quit it. <laughs> She's not going to quit it. We've officially had the, the, the cat incident of the night now. <laughs> Just to make a point. Well, anyway, I, it, 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 we're, we're, it, it's a digression, but I, I'm just saying uh, there are generations of people, mainstream viewers and not just geeks or dorks, right. that have been into Star Wars. So you have my generation, I guess, which is the original – the original trilogy when right. I was a kid. And then you have this whole generation of younger people, younger than me who came into star Wars with the prequels. Right. As sad as that is. And then you have the kids like my kids who are easing into star Wars for the first time when this new stuff is starting. Right. Out. So it's, you know, pretty well, fascinating. it's interesting too the way we've really had the three generations of advertising for the movies as well. Like the first movies, when they came out, they were not advertised really. I mean, by the time Return of the Jedi rolled around, there was, you know, toys and toy commercials and all of that stuff. But then that, the, the first, the one, two, three episodes came out and it was just those, that massive, massive advertising blitz where there was stuff on cups and 
tacos yeah. and I mean you could find Star Wars stuff everywhere in a degree that you'd never imagined before and I mean it was just absolutely inundating the country with advertising but it was it's such a different thing now because of the internet and how huge the internet is and I mean like people nitpicking every three quarters of a second of the trailer and trying to impose their version of a plot line off of that and I can't even imagine what it would have been like for the first three episodes if they came out during this time frame with the level of scrutiny that's being laid upon these movies. It's just crazy to me. Well, and the, um, there's a lot of confidence in the merchandising for the new film, partly because of the pedigree of who's working on it. Right. Partially because expectations are positive. Now, thinking back on it, when Phantom Menace was yet to come out, Mm -hmm. there was a lot of anticipation for that, too. Oh, yeah. And we could be going down that same path, right? Right. This movie could bomb and and, and fans could be, um, you know, completely change their perception of what's happening. Oh, absolutely. But but, but right now, it does feel like it's the Star Wars rapture, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, thinking back on those prequels when they came out, um, it's sort of in, in some ways, I feel like we have revisionist revisionist thinking about it. Like, well, they were they were garbage. <laughs> exactly. Everybody was garbage. It's not really true. We were, people were still really excited about them because they were happening, and they oh, still yeah. had you know the paintings and the effects, and and it was it was it was Star Wars. Yeah. But but I know as 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 an individual, after being um, disappointed by the the narrative structure of Phantom Menace, right. and the dialogue and the acting. Um, it gave me a bad taste in my mouth about it. And so while I was interested in the, the movies as they were coming out, mm-hmm. I didn't have expectation that they were going to be good. Yeah, there wasn't that level of excitement that came pre-episode right. one. Right. And and so I'm like most people right now. I mean, I was a J.J. Abrams fan, so I'm not. Right. I'm definitely not that the, sort of the vocal minority right now that are, are already naysaying the project. I choose to believe it's going to be awesome. And I think right. it will be. And I've liked everything he's done. I mean, even in some capacity, I've enjoyed everything Abrams has done, including Alias and (laughs) everything else. But well, I mean, it just there are there are so many signs that they took um, a very thoughtful approach to making this project appeal to nostalgic um, the 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 nostalgia of the canon of Star Wars. And be uh, respectful to that, but at the same time, tell a more nuanced story, right? Uh, or in some, or some would say, even telling a story, right? Right, right. You know, there's some <laughs> real questions about some of the, you know, how, how little the prequels seem to understand what Star Wars were about in the way yeah. they were, right? Um, however, I'm cognizant of the counterpoint to that, which is that some people, particularly not heavily invested in the sort of the rose colored glasses about star Wars, those that have said, you know, Hey, the original movies weren't that great. And they're, they're a part of our history. Right. They're not necessarily great. In the same way that I love the Conan movies and they were garbage. Right. Right. Sorry to say, but you know what I mean? They were B movie (laughs) stuff and you, and and in your mind, you make them a lot better than they are. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of people have, you know, come out and say, well, this looks like it's the, the, the best of Star Wars, right? Like yeah. They just pieced it all together from all of the imagery from other movies 
and made it a fan service. Right. right. Which and I can see possible. that, but it's possible. But yeah. I think there's a fine line between that um, uh, that respect and honoring of such, of a tradition like this, right. and telling a story that feels folded in and part of that same world versus um, just cloning it. So yeah, to speak. absolutely. Or clone warring it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I knew what I did when I did it. Yeah, yeah. When you look at the the trailer in particular, they they totally hit like they've got the desert planet, they've got the forest planet, they've got the stormtroopers, they've got the big ball that looks like a Death Star, they've got I mean they literally hit everything that they know a Star Wars fan is gonna be like, Oh my god, it's a TIE Fighter, oh my god, it's an X Wing kind of thing. And I think if they can do that and tell a good story, I think it'll be incredibly solid. I'm totally okay with that. Ray, Ray with a Ray with a droid behind her, right. running around the desert. Right, right. right. All the Everything I'm seeing the looks great sun. to me. I can't wait. I cannot wait. Yeah. But let's talk about the Marvel and DC stuff because I think this was really interesting. Uh, in in I feel like these both hit us by surprise. Right. We thought that yeah. the Captain America trailer was going to come out in advance of the. Or as a trailer for Star Wars. Right, right. And, and it's and then it just, almost a month ahead, yeah. Well, yeah, like the day of the Jimmy Kimmel or whatever they were going to be on. And they said, well, we're bringing something. And so the internet got all whipped up. Right. Uh, and then, again, with the with the, the Superman versus Everybody trailer from last night, it yeah. seemed like – I almost wondered whether Marvel decided to – for whatever reason. To preempt to their make, display. Yeah. To, yeah. Yeah, and in some cases, I, I don't know, part of me was wondering if it's because they're all um, under the same mothership now. Mm-hmm. That they felt like they were going to um, keep control of the narrative and say, well, okay, everyone's got Star Wars property fever pitch. Right. Let's keep the, let's keep the Marvel properties in there, too. Right. right? Um, and then I almost wondered if the the uh, Superman versus everyone trailer <laughs> was a... Uh, was it like a, oh, shit. Well, <laughs> I really do wonder about that. Yeah, because it, it seems like it was cut pretty dramatically different from the first of the Superman movie trailers that came out. And they, they showed a lot more, like, actual scenes from the movie, which I think is a good sign in that respect. But it does feel like it may not have been like a, yeah, we've had this in in queue ready to go at this particular time kind of thing. It was, it, it feels to me the way DC's done their advertising prior to this, that they would have like announced it and then released the teaser for the trailer and then released the yeah. trailer. And instead this was more like the, the comic con suicide squad release where they're just like, Oh, trailer. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? Let's, let's talk about this in reverse order. Let's talk about the, uh, the uh, uh, Superman versus everyone. Yeah, I'm cool with uh, that trailer first. I'll tell you, I seem to have had a different experience with it than some of the more vocal uh, base of our forum, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Lung, he, he's was, you know. So I I texted him a little after midnight last night, saying, "Well, I have some concerns." Yeah, whatever I said, and then. It was a whiskey fueled text, and then you know he wrote in the morning when he dragged his his face out of the slop and <laughs> right. found my text and read it. He wrote back and said, "Yeah, you're high. That's amazing. It was a great in every way." Yeah, he's so, so excited about it. He's super excited, and yeah. you know, he's he he you know he's 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 a much more boolean 
personality about things. He loves yeah. and hates. And I tend to be somewhere in the middle. We've, we've joked about that for years. But I was re- – what's with the – hey. Yeah, your cats are fighting behind no you. No combat behind me. <laughs> so I was just surprised that uh, we had such different experiences with it. And I think part of it for me was context. And I wrote a little mm-hmm. bit about this in the forum. I knew it was scheduled to come out based on what I had read earlier in the day that it was going right, to come out right. that night. And I knew a couple of days earlier they had done a teaser for it, but I didn't watch it. Mm-hmm. And I had just finished the finale for Jessica Jones, which is which a we'll totally talk different about. beast, right? And, and we'll and we'll talk about that in another in another show. But you know, I just finished it, mm-hmm. shut it off, and I'm sitting in that sort of uh, feeling where you know you don't know what to do with yourself because you've been immersed in something. It's how I felt after Battlestar Galactica, for example. Oh yeah, when I rebased that whole thing, and then it was over, and I didn't know what to do. That makes right? sense. Yeah, yeah. So I'm in that state, and here and and I've described that. Um, as being what I thought was a masterclass in understated storytelling. Mm-hmm. And then I queue up, you know, Superman v. Batman. Which is the complete opposite, yeah. But in fact, worse than that, I didn't even get to it right away. I Googled it, mm. and it got me the, what turns out to have been the teaser from earlier in the week. Oh, okay. I watched this one, and it looks like an expanded version of the previous trailer, right? Just a little extra content. It right. was basically the same... Uh, tone to this to the to the piece and and I, I was like well okay yeah I mean I'm still like what I'm seeing I like this tension between them and I like the urgency of it and all this I'm one of those people that doesn't hate on Man of Steel I liked it, the darkness of it so right okay okay it, you know it did knock my socks off and again this is still coming down from how great the cat trailer was which we'll talk right. about in a minute, but, and then my my Apple TV, you know, I had YouTube running, and so it just automatically launched the next trailer in the list, which was the latest Suicide Squad. Ah, uh, which I have which not I seen yet. Seen, the expanded version of, you know, what they've been showing. Right. And I was struck by how much more compelling I found it. Mm-hmm. Because they had the very consistent tone to it. They had the singing of the song. And right. And it was very urgent. And it was very um, – and again – if you notice, we still don't have a clue as to what the Suicide Squad are up against. No, not even remotely. It's yeah. all about flavor. It's just like they did with Jessica Jones. They gave us quit it. It's just like with <laughs> Jessica Jones. They gave us uh, lots of imagery that, get, that that introduced the characters and provided a tone reference. Right. But they didn't tell you anything about the plot. Yeah, I don't think Jessica any Jones of that like, from the Jessica Jones trailers were even in the show, if I remember correctly. That's right. They were they were fab- they were fabricated just to give uh, viewers a sense of what they were going to get, right? Right. And the Suicide Squad had this really wonderful tone to that trailer. I thought, wow, that's I'm really excited about that still. And I was one of the ones that was really having some questions <laughs> about Jared Leto, right? I'm like, I'm down with it. I can't wait for that one. And I realized, wait a minute, I'm not. That's not what I. Logged on for. I was right. supposed to be getting excited about the Superman trailer, and instead it's Suicide Squad. So then I realized I didn't even see the right one, and then I saw the proper new trailer, and it just threw me further out of whack. Yeah. It had all of that earlier imagery that was very urgent, you mm-hmm. know, Bruce Wayne in the rubble and all, you know, the, all the apparent dream sequences about capturing Batman and all right, that. Right, right. And then, and then all of a sudden you had that that they show us too much. Yeah. Get this apparent, um, you know, plot breakdown of the film. And I'm hoping that's not really what happened. I, yeah. I'm hoping they're fucking with us there. I don't but know, then, but but then all of a sudden that, that last thing in the trailer where they're, you know, witty banter with each other. You right. can't, if I get a claw on my neck, 
There will be hell to pay. <laughs> There's cat so, fights at Tom's house. Yeah, there. You know, uh, d- did she come with you? Is she with you? Right, right. Yeah, the, she, it, totally. It was completely inappropriate for that trailer. But at the same time, it's real footage, so it made right. me think that maybe they're starting the movie. You know, if this is a precursor to Justice League, maybe mm-hmm. they're starting it with this, you know, this this tension between those two, right. manipulated by Lex, brought into conflict with each other, and then with with her introduction, they become bigger than themselves, right? Yeah, yeah, I definitely got the vibe from that last part that right. and they then it goes were big, no and longer have at odds, kind of thing. Yeah. So I don't know. It, it, there's nothing that says that you can't have a movie start somber right. and then go big cape at the end. Right. It's just, you know, I haven't seen DC having a lot of success with um, being creative in their storytelling. No, right? not at all. That stuff I thought they did was, I mean, I love the Nolanverse stuff. It was very consistent. Mm-hmm. And I like really liked Man of Steel, even though it had its strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. I liked the choice they made. Yeah. Uh, but to start everything that we've seen with this really great sort of battle of giants and, and you're wondering how in the hell is Wayne not going to be decapitated, right? Right. And then have it suddenly just shift into... Uh, you know, I don't know, almost like PG rated. Yeah, they're like Justice pals. League. Yeah, pals all of a sudden. So I, you know, I don't know. Eh. Again, I, I choose to be optimistic that it's going to work. But yeah, I'm genuinely, genuinely hoping that these trailers are just cut fucking terribly, and that they're not laying out every aspect of the show as it comes through. Because right now, watching that, I pretty much know the movie. I'm hoping they're going to throw some curveballs, mix some things around. But, like, right now, I'm totally not down with Lex. I don't mind Jesse Eisenberg or whatever the hell his name is as Lex, but what I've seen of his character, I'm assuming he's playing a part with the smarmy, oh, blah, 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 blah thing. But that's not the Lex that you expect. Lex is the, the consummate businessman. He's smart. He's... He would be better at playing people off of each other than that, I would think. Well, there's some interesting stuff there. I mean, you know, I, ever since, like we were talking before about how, you know, we became a, uh, a uh, an interactive uh, viewer culture. Right. Where we're buying, we're, we're investing in what we're watching after Lost, right? We're investing into it and coming up right. with our own theories and guessing at the master plan. You know, I, I really wonder sometimes whether there's there's – as much there there is that we're we're hoping there will be yeah. and there probably isn't but you know the, people have been saying for a while that Lex is not the real Lex Luthor that he's the son of the original Lex mm-hmm. and he's not the same guy that is it, although I I'm not sure if that's really true right um, I do think that there's some truth in the fact that he's definitely playing it in a different obviously playing it in a very different way yeah, it's a radically him. different Lex Luthor than we've seen although although to, to be fair we're accustomed to this the sort of vision of Lex Luthor from comics over the last 30 mm-hmm. years, he's ranged from being a, a business tycoon to a president right. to powered armor, you know, bill, super villain. And then, you know, it, and until all-star Superman sort of reinvented him, right? Uh, you know, he, he had a certain sort of range, but mm-hmm. if you think about it from a cinematic standpoint, mainstream viewers, they associate Lex Luthor with Gene Hackman and Gene Hackman wasn't Which playing Lex true. Luthor as a mastermind. He was playing him like a con artist. Right. Or sort of an entrepreneur who got, you know, 
got a lead on something and decided he could he could work this angle. Yeah, yeah, he was more of a snake oil salesman than yeah, anything. He wasn't a businessman or a leader of industry or anything like that. Well, and you know, like Lung and others are are um, are are positing that Luther or uh, that Lex Luthor is being played like a uh, sort of a parody of young tech giants from Silicon Valley. Which I could see that. Yeah, and, and and I think that's possibly true. I certainly think that there's some truth to the fact, to the idea that his character is playing a character mm-hmm. right? that he's playing at being this. I don't smarmy is not the word, but very. Um, uh, I don't know. I don't think smarmy is an inappropriate word for it, honestly. <laughs> but I don't think he's playing at being smarmy. He's coming off smarmy. Yeah, but I think he's playing at being sort of ingratiating and being almost a sycophant in a way, be charming and right. whatever. And, and, and that he's got another layer to him. That's a lot more um, deliberate than that. Um, almost like that's his secret identity character, just like Bruce Wayne plays the playboy and yeah. that kind of thing. So I could see that that, that would be an interesting tack for them to take where he has that public persona where he plays off that character and, like you said, kind of the Silicon Valley playboy type thing. That would be interesting. Well, and, and all this focus on Bruce Wayne being, you know, spun into a one-note act of revenge and resentment over what happened in that battle in New York. Right. Um, who's to say that this Lex is not the product of that same destruction, which is that true. He's not mirroring, you know, I'm starting to wonder if maybe he's mirroring Wayne's uh, experience. Maybe mm-hmm. he lost his father in that, or maybe, right. there, you know, there was a personal blow and that he's orchestrating the means to eliminate Superman, which would be interesting. Yeah. Uh, you know, in the same way that Wayne, Wayne is, 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 Feeling the need to to take him down. I don't know. I don't it's know. It's always better when there's a vendetta, and it's not just somebody wanting to rule the world. It's better when they have a reason for wanting to rule the world. So I'd be but, okay with that. Yeah, but I have to say, I don't know if you've watched any of the show Silicon Valley. I have not. It's been on for a couple of seasons, and it's it it starts a little bit rough, and then it gets really really good. It's a great hmm. parody. It's a great parody of of a lot of what's been happening down here in my neck of the woods. And, right. Um. They do a much better job of capturing the uh, sort of what you know what people uh, here in San Francisco tend to refer to as the Google Tech asshole, you know, right. or the Google douche, right? Which is not really a fair <laughs> thing to say. There's a lot of really diverse and interesting people that work at these companies, but there's that certain type, mm-hmm. right? Young, usually male, kind of hipster uh, stuff right. going on, very entitled. <laughs> Very arrogant. Okay, these are stereotypes, right? Total stereotypes. But you see a lot of this person in right. San Francisco right now. And in my mind, if they were going to try to present him as a um, sort of a version of that in mm-hmm. Metropolis, I could see them going a very different direction with that presentation. I can see him being overconfident mm-hmm. and. Uh, maybe a little condescending, right? Um, you know, youthful and yet extremely powerful, mm-hmm. right? There's a totally different direction I could see them taking that personality. So I'm not right. sure, if truly, a a tech nerd as much as um, 
that he is a maybe a visionary leader and inventor in the in a software world as opposed right. to a hard industrial world. Well, and, and it, I think if you think about the difference between like Gotham and Metropolis, Metropolis definitely lends itself towards the biotech technology that type of thing far further than like if he was in gotham you would definitely expect him to be union and and like hardware type stuff but i could definitely see a metropolis inventor billionaire visionary type character being somewhat silicon valley but it seems like he'd have a little more of the some biotech type stuff, which would make sense with the whole Zod thing or whatever the fuck's going on there. You, you, you allude to something that I thought was very interesting in this new trailer, which was we're hearing Ben Affleck as Bruce Wayne. We're hearing him talk, right? It's hearing his character talk, right? And I, there's a lot of talk. There's a lot of you know stuff going on right now that they know who each other are in that scene mm-hmm. at, at the gala. Um, and that this veiled, these veiled um, pot shots at each other that they're taking, that they know exactly who they're talking to. Mm-hmm. And I'm not positive that's the case. But what I really liked was, you know, I've never been a fan of the, uh, of the Clark Kent thing. I've right. Never got it. From top right. to bottom, I've never gotten it. And I'm not, I'm not enjoying watching Henry Cavill do that. Mm-hmm. That said, I was not expecting billionaire Bruce Wayne to have a street edge to him. Yeah, I was kind of surprised by that. Growl, and he and he's talking like as if he's up, he's made from the middle class or the lower middle class and has come up. Right. And I don't know if that's going to be in the story. Maybe it is about this this iteration's Bruce Wayne, but he's like it's the Gotham in me. You know, he, right. that that sort of knife fight yeah. uh, devotion to your city is was something I did not expect. Usually we see these versions of Wayne, um, you know, they're kind of having these platitudes about the beauty of their city. And, right. You know, Gotham, of course, is thick, is, is, is neck deep with that, this idea right. that they're going to romanticize the city, even if it's covered in filth and corruption and, mm-hmm. you know, underworld activity. Well, there's this vision of what it once was, which is the kind of um, uh, revisionist nostalgia that people talk about with New York. Right. But what we're seeing here is, is a, I mean, it's a, I know Gotham is not New York City, but it is, right? right? It is. And yeah, it's, it's like New York with a, a hint of, like, Detroit in there, I think. Yeah, there's something to it. He, yeah. He's got a tone to him that I really liked. Yeah, I think it's I'm not, really I'm not a hater of Ben Affleck. I think he does, I think he does poorly in some things. And he does, and he does well in other things. Yeah. I don't actually think he comes to the table with, um, you know, like a default setting of dope, which a no. lot of people do. Um, I think he's killing it so far. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I am not excited about this movie. I feel like I should be because everybody that they've cast with the exception of Lex, potentially, I am totally down with. Like even yeah. Wonder Woman, once I saw her as Wonder Woman, I was yeah. like, you know, I'm actually kind of digging on her look for that. And like, yeah. I love Cable as Superman. I think he is one of the best cast Superman looks that I could oh, have yeah. possibly imagined. He looks like he's straight out of a comic book. And... <clears throat> I want to be excited about this movie, but I'm just, I'm failing every time I try to be. It's weird. Well, you know, there's, there's still hope, so to speak. Yeah. This is going to come out and then 
be a ride and you're going to be pleasantly surprised. You know yeah, what I mean? absolutely. But yeah, it, it's, it, it's, I definitely feel more guarded in my optimism about it than I have other projects. I want it to succeed. Right. But yeah, there's something, there's something there. I'm just not sure about. Um, and also, you know, there's a certain amount of, um, uh, confirmation bias, right? I'm talking, right. I'm a Marvel zombie and I talk to other Marvel zombies and we tend to overreach in our appreciation of Marvel properties, I think. Right. And then I think we can be a bit critical of the DC properties. And, and I was a reader of both, you know, both companies work growing up, but right. definitely sided with the Marvel stuff. And, you know, Marvel have made some missteps in their films. There've mm-hmm. been strengths and weaknesses in most of them, but as a whole, they felt like they had a game plan. Yeah, absolutely. They felt like they were put together with a formula that was deliberate. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the DC stuff has felt like throwing, <laughs> yeah, you know, throwing a pot full of something on the wall and seeing if it makes art. Right. right. I don't know. There's something there that's that's that doesn't feel. It feels uh, very reactionary mm-hmm. to what's happening on the other side. And so I think that that influences how I look at this. You know, the um, weird thing about it to me, too, and I don't know if there's a way of even looking into who cuts trailers for certain directors and that kind of thing, but right. I've always kind of got that vibe from Zack Snyder films. Like, I've liked pretty much everything he's done, but for some reason, every trailer that comes out prior to his movies, I'm like, eh, I'm not as excited about this as I should be. I think the 300 trailer is a good exception, though. That is very I true. The 300 trailer was amazing. I'm allergic, I'm allergic to Frank Miller. Mm-hmm. properties uh, as an adult really and and I wasn't that interested in a um, heavily distorted historical <laughs> right superhero film right like I just ugh, even the prop the original property <laughs> bothered me and I and I wasn't really motivated to see it on film at all and as you know I didn't get into the Sin City stuff either right um, but I saw the first trailer for it and I was like well now wait a minute yeah that is definitely Zach Sunder, an exception. nothing else He's visually arresting in the way he sets stuff up. Absolutely. So I, I mean, know. even as far back as like the um, Day of the Dead that he did, um, mm-hmm. which is very un-Zack Snyder compared to all of his other stuff, the trailer that came out prior to it, I was just like, this doesn't look like anything that interests me at all. And then when I w- actually watched the movie, I was like, okay, he makes he knows how to make an entertaining film, and I'm hoping this will be the case as well during because I I want to see this movie and enjoy it. I don't want to walk away and just be like, ah, oh, fuck, again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, I, I think we're both uh, the type of viewers that can find the find the good, find the fun stuff and accept the, right. the weak, weak points unless it's total garbage, right? Yeah. So I think we could go in and want it to, to be good and we'll find something to like about it. I think it's going to be fine, but... yeah. Um, you know, speaking of the of the cutting of trailers, I, in general, I'm just so sick of trailers that give you too much, mm-hmm. or even seem to give you too much. And up until now, it was the one thing I was going to give them that right. I was not. I was surprised by was that their early I was shocked stuff, how much they showed in this. Yeah, their early stuff gave a really good sense of tone, but they didn't overdo it in what was happening. Right, I thought it was just enough. And then, and, and like the Star Wars stuff has been great up until this last right. little last few weeks over overdoing it. You know, they've been really good about giving you a real flavor, but not completely yeah. destroying the plot for you. Yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden, they just threw it all out there. And I just really like a well-crafted trailer that gives you atmosphere without giving you a story. Absolutely. And the thing with this one in particular, with throwing out the big bad in the trailer like that, I, there's so much about that movie that they could have shown that... 
wouldn't have given away things. Like, we still don't see Aquaman at all, which right. I'm really curious to see what he looks like. And instead, they're just like, bam, bad guy, motherfuckers, kind of thing. And yeah. I'm secretly hoping that that is not Doomsday and that they're pulling some sort of little twist and that they've decided to make him into Darkseid or something like that. Uh, th their looks are similar enough yeah. that it could be something like that, but I don't think it will be. He's definitely... Um, I, I think that the criticisms about the way he's presented in that scene are valid. Um, I definitely got that same vibe that I got from Abomination in the Hulk movie, where it's like, ugh, it's just this lumpy... Right. Lumpy, oatmeal, vomit-colored, muscular beast um, that's not... and. I guess from an industrial design and a, char a character design standpoint, I want these things to be distinct. I want there to be a really strong visual cue to the design core to these these creations. Right. I think that's one of the things that Bar and like I was like I was saying before about we give uh, Marvel too much credit. When I think about it, both both Avengers movies bored me because of the swarm. We've talked about this before. Yeah. You know, the swarm of a of a generic enemy that they just have to beat and beat and beat and beat until it's done. Right. And the fact that they were so muted, right? The Chitari were in this, they were a great design. Yeah. Yeah. They were but cool. Emotion, looking. They were just this gold, this golden gold blur. Right? right. Of generic armor. And then obviously all the Ultrons were just, okay, now here's the, the, the right. Basically, right. In, but it scores and scores of them at once. Right. Boy, I want distinct designs and I want something really interesting in them. Mm -hmm. And, that initial reaction when he lands and he throws that 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 bomb or whatever, whatever right. his, his power yield is, um, yeah, my first reaction was like, ugh. But at the same time, I was so glad it didn't look exactly like the comic Doomsday, which I've always thought was a terrible design. It is, absolutely. Although you see elements of it, you see bone bits. Yeah, there's some bones and some spikiness. Yeah, and, yeah. And, I, and I think you're onto something, though, that maybe he's going to evolve or change in the way he looks over time. Right. In his, you know, maybe he's not fully formed in that scene. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. And, and like you say, there's nothing that says they can't merge Doom, Doomsday and Darkseid together. That would be really the interesting. of them. I, it's a stretch, but I mean, it could be. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I think I, that a lot of the dark side stuff's coming out of the the what seems to be the dream sequence with the the Right, demons. right. Well, and and the the glowing eyes was actually the first thing I thought of. Like mm. until I rewatched it a second time, I actually thought it was dark side when I first saw it because of the glowing eyes and the 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 way it kind of looks like he's projecting some sort of power out of his mouth or something like right. that. It to me like the first time I saw it, I always associate dark side with the big hulking gray body kind of skull like and then the glowing eyes yeah and then they you had know, i grew up thinking that it was dark seed what's that i grew up thinking it was pronounced dark seed i is that's another one of those things that i always think is my brother ranted about that in a different episode i think it was a regional thing because he was talking about how we always pronounced it dark side, which according to Wikipedia, that's how you pronounce it. I yeah. looked it up just to be out of curiosity. And we grew up thinking it was Magneto, like oh, forever until the cartoon came out. And then all of a sudden it was like, Magneto! <laughs> and I was like, what the hell? <laughs> I've got a ton of uh, pronunciation on on uh, comic characters that's, that's screwy. 
um, that when I start thinking about it as an adult, I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense exactly. But, 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 but with, with this, though, I can't imagine that they could ever come up with a character in these properties called Darkseid without being skewered by Disney over the sound of Which Dark is Side, true. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I don't know. Well, anyway, so there, there was lots, some interesting new stuff in the trailer. I mean, I, I, I love everything I see about that desert sequence where he's in, in the cave or so in that, uh, that weird bunker and all those weird militia guys with the Superman logo and yeah. that, like, pulling his, his cowl off and all this. Yeah. I, I like everything I see of that imagery. Also because what we saw from the original trailer, it looked like he had that goth some mixture of Gotham by Gaslight and oh, yeah, some sort of general like desert Batman stuff. Going right. On. Like old With, school eighties like, cart toy line action figure. Yeah, he has like a duster and goggles. Like yeah. it was just so practical and cool looking. So I wanted to see more of that, you know. I don't yeah, know. it was so Manola designed in that particular section right there. It was like it really was. <laughs> and the other thing that really struck me, because I went back and rewatched this trailer again today, right? And another thing that really struck me was Batman carrying the weapon around. And you yeah. know, there's all this back and forth about whether he he does or doesn't use guns in any particular version of the property. Right. Does man kill or not kill? And yes, he does. But I, there's nothing to say that that's not a sonic weapon, like was actually used in, in Dark Knight, um, or any number of other things he could be carrying that happened to have. That yeah, form. just I, might I doubt look highly at the shotgun. <laughs> right. Yeah, it looks like a double-barreled shotgun, but it could be. Who knows? Maybe there's instead of shot, there's little pieces of kryptonite in it or something like that, exactly. which it would be pretty cool, sweet, though. actually. What's that? That'd be kind of cool, actually. I, I think that they did this in the. In the in the Frank Miller book, but isn't his his armored suit supposed to be coated with kryptonite? It seems like something like that, or at least the the knuckles and the chest plate, or something like that. Yeah, because he's he, and I know in the Man of Steel. Right, wait, wait, isn't that right? In in this continuity, they haven't established yet that kryptonite's a thing. Did they at the end of Man of Steel? I don't think they did. I can't remember. It seems like. His only weakness was this theoretical atmospheric change on the ship, right? right? Which right. was screwy enough on its own. And they're not taking into account the the previous Star Wars, the the singer or Star Wars fucking Superman, the singer one, right? Right, right. That one's right. Not, not in, in this world. Yeah. Oh, you know, you mean the one where he picks up the the incredibly cartoon style <laughs> chunk of land. It was yeah. Like Secret Wars, he, right? He uproots an island. Detroit and put it on a planet. Right. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, regardless, there's uh, my impression is that, that the armored, the armored Batman is, is, uh, is coded with whatever his quote unquote kryptonite is. Right. To give him a fighting chance. Um, and there is a scene in that trailer where he punches him and you see blood. So, right. I don't, know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm legitimately wondering if that's what that scene with the whole duster and Gotham by Gaslight actions going on is him looking for kryptonite or something like that. That's a really good point, too. I don't know. Um, so, in contrast, though. Yes, Marvel. My gosh, because all of this is being framed in the shadow of... I mean, it was bad enough that I watched that after Alias. and right. I, uh, Sorry, Jessica Jones. And I'm like, well, you know, completely different tone and everything else. But, uh, but oh, man. If we want to keep it at apples to apples... Fucking Marvel, man. Big, big budget, right? Right. That, that Civil War trailer. 
was just spot on. It's ridiculous. There's nothing about it I didn't enjoy. And and now wait, now have you actually watched? I am so behind. It's obscene. Um, Let's see. Of the Marvel movies that I've seen, I've seen the first Captain America. I've seen the first two Iron Man movies. I have seen the first Avengers. I've seen the Hulk movie. <laughs> if that's in continuity, I can't remember. Um, it half is and half isn't, although the um, General Ross is in this one. Right, right. Uh, yeah. That's that's what I thought was kind of odd. Oh, and then I've seen Guardians, of course. Okay. Well, so, I need to get this taken care of because you absolutely need to see Winter Soldier before Cap 3. Yes, I need um, to see Winter Soldier. I need to see Iron, see Iron Man 3 as well. Which is which? It was a very interesting movie, but it's not as critical, right? Uh, but man, though this trailer, I just could not. I couldn't get over. I mean, we've been talking for a while how this, how Marvel is doing this thing where it's sort of like the team up books, right? This is really like an Avengers movie. It's just it's it like really a two point five, yeah. right? Um, <laughs> th- you're actually seeing what I was asking for. Remember, we were talking before about. Um, I feel like we were talking about this about. Age of Ultron, you didn't see it, right. but you were aware of the fact that it's once again superheroes fighting um, you know, this, yeah. this of an unstoppable foe yeah. and stop it. And how I walk out of that, well, I walked out of it with one eye closed and the spins. But, <laughs> right. but in general, though, I walk out of it with the desire. To, what I want to see is superheroes fighting supervillains. Right. Like teams of characters beating the shit out of each other. That's what I've wanted to see since I was a kid, right? Yeah. And this was the first time in a Marvel movie that we saw that happening. Which is you really excellent. Team A and Team B squaring off against each other and taking a run. And that was what was so thrilling about it to me. Yeah. And it was also neat to see the first the first uh, real look at Black Panther. Um, I was really surprised how much I enjoyed that. Because I have I've read some of the Black Panther comics, particularly the uh, the Texera version mm-hmm. of it, um, because I really liked his art for a while. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the character of Black Panther is not something I've necessarily ever been super interested in. But he looks badass. He really does. I have a lot of trouble with the with the framework of that character, and I mean, there's a lot of stuff in 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 comics that you start applying a real world. Um, filter to it and it doesn't make any sense but right. I've, never, I've never really been able as a reader to accept that this is the most advanced civilization on the planet um, <laughs> with unlimited resources and you know space age technology and they're just surrounded by blight and, and right. poverty despair in all the countries around them it, there's some real obvious questions there that make no sense um, well especially you if you apply like the, the blood diamond logic to it I mean all their right. money and everything comes from the vibranium that they're mining and so it's it's totally like this this nation where they're mining the underneath for this extremely valuable product and but instead of it being slaves and death and destruction they're all happy and I, I don't know who's doing the actual mining of this but <laughs> <Right>. robots maybe <laughs> yeah, yeah but you know i'll say this and also you know i here and there i've been interested in the character in comics in terms mm-hmm. of what he looks like and what he does but generally not i was always into the way he looked you know so i was born in the 70s right and, was reading Marvel comics in the late seventies and into the early eighties. And so, you know, 
whenever I did come across a contemporary contemporary Black Panther in my reading, I wasn't that interested in him right. because as everything was happening at the time, uh, design work, design work was simplifying, and it wasn't very. And then it got terrible right in the nineties. It got overly, <laughs> yeah, yeah. went the other direction and went crazy. And Without but, question. But what I was always excited about was you know I would look at my I would get the back issues or I'd look at the the art samples of stuff from before and the original look of Black Panther I really liked. Yeah. I really liked the way he looked when he first came out. I didn't like it when he just got simplified to a black suit, right? Right, yeah, that just, um, oh, I'm just wearing an entirely black suit because it's quicker to draw. <laughs> right, well, yeah, and so, uh, you know, when we saw those first clips of, like, a theoretical concept art, concept art for this character and then that the first photos of him on the set and you saw all the silver bits all over it, I was like, no, 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 no. Right. Like, what have they done? Maybe this is all going to be taken care of in post. But something's not right here. Right. I gotta say, seeing him in action, mm-hmm. I don't need all the little details, really. But and and I think everything in the in the design language of the MCU is overly textured, like everyone right. else is doing. They're everything. Superman's costume is a bunch of little textured bits. Right. It was, it was never worse than than uh, uh, the, the 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 Brian Singer one where. <laughs> Oh my the god! Themselves were S logo. Oh, that was so ridiculous. That, that was, was like, <laughs> I want all these to be simpler, simpler and more bold. Yeah, uh, voices in the in the line in the lines and the textures of the costumes and, and that that uh, EW cover that shows him in full lighting and you see all these uh, these weaving of stuff all over. Yeah, him. yeah, that's all. His helmet. I don't know if I need that, but but I will say this: his eyes and his mm-hmm. face look good. Yes. And and I think that's incredibly hard to pull off in a realistic way. I agree. We draw it all the time, right? You know, eye slits, mm-hmm. maybe some hint of a nose, and then, you know, oh, and it always looks good. And, you know, you can make it look good on paper. Right. But that's hard to pull off in real life. It really look is. Look at anybody wearing wearing a, a, a like a baklava or something. They don't – or not baklava. What am I talking about? That would be, that would be a terrible mess. A baklava, <laughs> right? <laughs> These things don't look good when they're, when they're smashed on the face. He looks great. So. Yeah, he really does. And I honestly, I think they added the silver to it because in like that scene where he's running, if you watch that scene, the silver like along the arms and the mask and everything gives a dimension and kind of a physicality to him when he's doing the moves and stuff that I think it, it makes it easier to follow the action, which I think is really solid. It picks up light and reflects yeah. it. Yeah. Glitters a little bit and also um, keeps him from just being a, you know, Batman style shadow. Right. There's enough of that. There's enough of that cloning of character concepts already. Yeah. But yeah, he isn't really supposed to be blending into the background all black. He's supposed to be patterned after a panther. Right. And, and then the, the little bits and stuff kind of give that royalty edge to it. And right. also, I think in the language of this film, I think it's also the hints of the vibranium. I absolutely got to see think so. That there's yeah. something on there. But I love the fact that he was running so fast. Yeah. I love that double that like, double kick. Way right? outrunning cap, which I thought was really awesome. Yeah, and I thought that was fantastic actually. Bell. That was great. Yeah. Yeah, I'm super stoked about it. And I love that at least from the state of the trailer that we don't know who we don't know who who's on which side necessarily. Right. We don't know I have to assume there's double agents and we don't know who they are. And you immediately think it's going to be Black Widow. Right. She's going to be in one camp but also in the other camp. But then at the same time, I start to wonder if maybe she's not the only one 
you know, there are other other characters. I was thinking Vision, for example. Right. It's not in the trailer. Not at all. If his alliance um, will be not what we expect. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's really interesting. I, I, I walked away from that trailer with with nothing negative about it. Mm-mm. No, yeah, there's, like, even going into it the way I did, where really my only knowledge was a working knowledge of the comic books and having seen the first Avengers kind of thing. Being be as behind on the Marvel Cinematic series as I am, right. I still walked out of it being like, oh, I know what's going on, I have no idea what's going on, I love it, kind of thing, which I thought was yes. excellent. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, it, talk. we can talk about the showing too much or not enough in trailers and right. we talk about different, different styles and expectations we bring as the, as fans of a particular property or not. But the bottom line was the cap trailer was thrilling looking. It was excellent. Yeah. And the Batman trailer, Superman, the everyone trailer was not as thrilling <laughs> right. looking, at least to me. No, no. And I, if you break down like the individual pictures from the Batman Superman trailer, they pictures are pretty and they look like they would be in part of an interesting trailer and instead you cram them all together and it's just like eh I'm going to go watch Avengers again. It's one of the again. criticisms of Snyder's <laughs> stuff before though. Right. Has a lot of compositions that are rad and then he doesn't have the bones to stick them to it. To make and it that's work. exactly it. Yeah. My takeaway of Watchmen was that it looked beautiful mm-hmm. and I struggled with some of the story direction. Right. But I, but I took away a very positive you know feeling from it, like I liked that it existed, and frankly, not a lot of people could pull off a Watchmen movie. No, I think that was as close as we're ever going to get to a decent Watchmen movie, as far as covering everything that's in that comic. I love Greengrass, but I don't think that he would have pulled off um, a film that worked as well as Snyder's did in attempting to capture some flavor of the comic. I agree. Especially when you're so set up to fail, because you're not even able to reference... That comic is... <laughs> a sat- almost a satire, right? Right. Of, of superhero comics. Right. And yet you're trying to make a film that's strictly earnestly recreating the plot and yeah. the look of it, but can't can't have that level of complexity that it's that Absolutely. a commentary on its own thing. Yeah. Yeah, so. it was for what it was, I think he did an excellent job. And I think there were a lot of sequences in that where I've rewatched just particular sequences of it just because I do really like the way they're shot or the composition of them and that kind of thing. Well, and you know, this is why I, I, I really wonder if we're ever going to see a decent project from uh, Warren Ellis con- uh, converted to film. <laughs> right. Because- he doesn't do anything that isn't referencing everything else. Right. right? And that is a commentary on, you know, it's like some sort of fourth wall commentary on things. And so, you know, nothing, nothing that he does is simply at face value. So I don't know if, if they'll ever be able to pull one of his scripts off. So, yeah, I'm really curious. I, I'm concerned. Definitely. <laughs> You're concerned about the Warren Ellis script problem, are you? Yes, that nothing of his is ever really going to happen. <laughs> well, so do you want to talk a little bit more about, um, I don't know, some of the other news that's been going around about the Star Star Wars properties since you know we've oh, I we're kind of back around to that. I mean, there's definitely some some weird stuff going on between like the Han, the Han Solo prequel, which is definitely something that could be great. It's strange to me they've they've shortlisted like from what I read there was like two thousand actors that they've shortlisted. I don't know how that's a short list. 
Um, but their their ages are radically all over the place. It's like, like I can't remember one of them that struck me in particular, but I know one of them that they cast was the kid from friggin' Walking Dead, who's right. like 14 or something like that. Right. And it's just really strange to me who they have and haven't mentioned for the role. It was sort of an open choke shotgun method, right? Just right. What's going to work and what won't. But at the same time, I didn't take that, that report initially very seriously. I just thought it was scuttlebutt. Um, and then the more I read about it, it seemed like there was some, some meat to it. And I was surprised. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't from, seem like something that was legitimate. From what I've heard, apparently that came from like a photograph quick shot of a list somewhere, supposedly. Well, it, it reminds me a lot about everything that was happening with the casting of Spider-Man. Yeah. They talked to a lot of different people. They looked at a few, you know, several directions. And then the, the description of what was supposedly the shortlist mm-hmm. was getting more and more consistent across different sources until they finally landed on who they, who they chose. This, you know, everything that we've seen so far from this production mm-hmm. with Force Awakens, um, we got no – we've seen no – hint of casting choices no All not even remotely was, this is what's happening right right that's surprising me about it um but i don't know it could be legitimate i don't know I yeah don't know. yeah i don't know i mean either way i'm not gonna be super excited until they really like officially announce something i i am really curious because i if i remember right it's like it's the guys that did the Lego movie and right. the 21 Jump Street movies that are do- that's doing the Han Solo movie, which is very strange to me. Well, to be fair, <laughs> I agree. But to be fair, I think I would be a lot more skeptical if I hadn't seen Winter Soldier, which right. you need to see. Because we're talking about writers from Community, mm-hmm. you know? TV comedy writers. Right, that's true. Uh, the Russo brothers, right? Right. That, you, when you see this movie, you will understand. This is Jason Bourne as a superhero film. <laughs> it's amazing awesome. what they pull off in Winter Soldier. Right. And on. the fact that they've been basically handed the keys to the kingdom after Joss Whedon backed off. Um, I'm fully in support of what they're doing. I think nice. they did a great job. And my brain has trouble connecting the two types of properties. Which, so, yeah, I can understand that. They, they've proven themselves to be very flexible. So it's very, you know, it's very possible that that will be the case with the, with the Han Solo thing. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I, and if I remember right, I think Kazdan has a hand in the writing as well. Who, sure. I mean, really, you can't go wrong with that. So. Well, I actually think that's one of the best thing, best bits of it that I, I've heard. Right. Because bring in some of that um, you know, authenticity. Yes. From the original production sounds really great to me. Yeah, I'm excited about that. But yeah, beyond that, I haven't seen that much about the Star I the Star Wars. Now you got me saying it. <laughs> <laughs> um, half the time it's the Star Wars, and half the time it's Star Wars. <laughs> right. I, I did notice that it's been officially rated PG-13. You saw? Yeah, you mentioned that. Yeah, That's, I thought that was interesting. What What have they traditionally been rated? Well, always PG. PG. Everyone, uh, I believe even the very first one was PG. Because there's arms getting cut off and whatnot. You know, I think it's probably going to be um, the subject of a future episode for us. But um, we should at some point dive in a little bit to, you know, fresh viewings of the original uh, films. Because yeah. uh, my wife and I have been doing that and allowing our kids to see it for the first time. And so we're seeing the films. And I say, 
I've told you this before, but it's a it's a strange thing in my house because we have a multi generational approach to it. Right. Kids are seeing it for the first time, and they're a little on the young side for it. Um, my wife is younger than me, and was never uh, slavishly devoted to Star Wars the way I was. Do you know right. what I mean? She wasn't a, a genre fan, but she liked it the way most kids like the Star Wars stuff. But she didn't. She wasn't like just obsessed with it. Right. So, so she has her nostalgia for it, but she doesn't have the same level of detail of knowledge about the storyline of the right. continuity of the world and all the details and you know all that stuff. Well, so and you got you mis- mislabeled played the like the the role playing game and everything too, right? Right. Well, no, but. Actually, to be honest with you, I didn't like much of anything outside of the movies. And really, I, you didn't expanded universe yourself. I didn't. I didn't read any <laughs> of those books. I didn't. Um, I've always had problems with book properties based on movies, not the other way around. Mm-hmm. Like I always felt like it's filler, even though that's completely unfair. Some of the, you know, some of the best sci-fi books I, I understand to be based on these properties. You're a but heathen. I just, no. <laughs> what's that? You're a heathen. I, well, I just never did. I never read <clears> the <throat> universe. I didn't watch. I have never watched Rebels or any of the animated I stuff. I haven't either, which too. I feel like I should, but I haven't. Yeah, and then, uh, and also, you know what? Even as a kid, I had them, but I didn't really enjoy the Star Wars comic books either. I never really did get into those. Like, I had a few of the Marvel ones and then yeah. I and picked up a lot of like those Dark Empire Dave Dorman ones or uh-huh. yeah, and I just could not get into them. Uh, for some reason Star Wars does not translate to a comic well for me. Yeah, I, I don't know what it is. But it's interesting to watch these movies now and see all the things that hold up and all the things that don't mm, and yeah. have it have that sort of eyes wide open approach to it. Um, I seem to enjoy the same things. Right like I remember the same details. I like the same things. Um, and that's really coming from the perspective of an action figure collector. Right. right? Really was into all the details of <laughs> different, uh, essentially walk-ons, you know, right. don't say anything, but I had the figure, the little shit I, that you didn't ever see on screen where you're like, Oh, I didn't know he had webbed feet. Yeah. Right. So, <laughs> right. You know, like the same stuff in in the in the same aspects of each of the films we've watched so far, I've liked as an adult that I liked as a kid. Yeah. Um, but uh, we're attempting to get through all of the films before Force Awakens, or at the very least, we got to get through the original three. Right. So we just finished Empire Strikes Back, and uh, we're gonna. I think we're gonna see Return of the Jedi next week. Nice. So right on. I don't know. I'm not. I don't feel this um, this rabid need to see the prequels before <clears throat> Force Awakens. I'd throw it in if I could. Right. I don't know. I really. I, I yeah. I have to question whether it's honestly the first one. Enough of the plot line on it is confusing enough for younger kids that it might. It's either going to go over their head or it's going to confuse them, and I'm not sure which, because yeah. it confused me, and I was like 21. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I I do think it would be interesting to find out how your kids feel about the first one, yeah. because I've talked to a lot of people who didn't like the movie, and then they talked to their buddies who had kids that saw the movie, and they saw the movie with the kids, and they suddenly understood the appeal of the first movie kind of thing. Well, I definitely think we could go into more detail on another one, but I will say um, 
as the parent of a daughter mm-hmm. who's a real go-getter personality. Right. Doesn't like limits. Um, it, it was not surprising to me at all that she really loved Princess Leia. Oh, yeah. And yeah. and that aspect of it, to me, I liked as well. I liked the right. fact that, that character was not being saved. I mean, there were a couple of cheesy points where all of a sudden, oh, I can't move this thing on the controller. Right. So oh, God. Help. <laughs> but for the most part, uh, she was leading the resistance in the second ep- in the second film. Absolutely. And, and, well, also, she's the only character that you ever see stand up to Vader. Right. In the beginning, in, in the original Star Wars, right? She's like, yeah. you know. You can't have the fucking plans. Yeah, she's a badass. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I like that. And since my daughter is the one who is, she wants to wear the princess dress and carry the sword. Which is awesome. Um, yeah, Princess Leia did, did resonate with her very well. And, of course, they, they're raised in this house. So they're like robots and like spaceships. Right. Like aliens. So, you know, I, it, Star Wars went over very well. Nice. Empire Strikes Back, a little bit less so. Um uh, you know, I could tell there were things about it. Like, um, even though I enjoy that movie more, right. <laughs> I right. Love that movie. Um, my younger son seemed, I, I think it might've been too, maybe it was too frenetic for him or whatever, mm-hmm. but he started playing with a, with a transformer uh, in, in early middle of the hot scene. He was already turned to the side and is playing by himself. Well, and there's some weirder, slower shots there too, like the standing in the in the base, watching it on the screens and that kind of thing. That yeah. really worked for me watching it, but I could see how a kid would just be like, "Uh." Well, but I don't know. There's something about maybe <laughs> the scale of it was more urgent, or I don't know. Like I remember being a very young. Let's see, how old was I? Star Wars. So. Star Wars was 77. 77, yeah. I wasn't born yet, so... (laughs) Yeah, so I was very young. I saw it probably in 78, because I saw Mm -hmm. it in a drive-in. Okay. On top of the car, like sitting in a a sitting bag on top of a station wagon. That's awesome. So that was probably 1978. So, you know, five. Yeah, because you're four or five years older than me, right? Yeah, so... I was five. I was five when when I saw the original Star Wars, and that you know that means that I was you know approaching what nine or so when the second second one came out, yeah. plus or minus eight or nine. Yeah, well enough, old enough to really be able to handle Empire Strikes Back. But when I watched it, with my kids like I love Hoth. I love the imagery. I love how stylized it is. Everything's snowy stuff, right? Uh, same way the Tatooine, everything was deserty stuff. I mm-hmm. like I like when there's purpose built versions of the characters Absolutely. there's snow troopers and there's right you know, the rebels all have these really great parkas and things you know? <laughs> um but but i think of the hoth stuff and i see the adats coming and they're just so gigantic oh, they're and they're so <laughs> and, and what they're amazing i said they are amazing yeah and, and they make no sense they make no sense but at the same time they're fantastic and you know li- living near oakland and seeing the same things that he saw when they were right. inspired to make them I totally get it. I love giant robots. I love slow-moving giant robots. Yeah. Like, my kids are watching that, and they're like, what? And like, they just, it didn't resonate to them the way huh. I thought it would. Interesting. Um, on the other hand, they seemed much more interested in Digaba, and I, as a kid, couldn't How wait funny. that over. Yeah. I to get out of there as soon as I could. And as an adult watching it, I cannot get around the fact that it was a Muppet. Right. Like, and even, I mean, they had the voice. They had the manner, the, you know. The oh yeah, like everything the, about him, yeah. And and I always loved Bespin, mm-hmm. and uh, I wanted my kids to be really into that scene because so much. I could, 
there's so much iconography. Oh yeah. You basically decorate your house like Bespin. <laughs> I really, obviously, all the 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 uh, the under the underbelly of the city that they're doing their sort their laser laser sword fighting in. Right, um, laser sword. I mean, that's a classic imagery of Star Wars, right? With the yeah. big window and all that stuff. Oh, and the lights. Um, yeah. my kids passed out. <laughs> so they didn't <laughs> skip. So, so, like yesterday morning, I was having, I was making, or no, was it this morning? Well, whatever. I'm tired. It was. <laughs> A morning, a and morning, I made yeah. oatmeal for the kids, and I was describing to them what they missed. I guess I was telling them the night before, and then I was describing it again. And I was telling my daughter, oh, and then his hand got chopped off. What? <laughs> That's okay. They replaced it with a cyber hand. What? You know, and That's hilarious. Every, every statement led to three more questions. And I thought, oh, <laughs> this is so fun. This You're is like, so much you fun. You need to just parent. sit down and watch this again. <laughs> I love it. Well, do you want to hit some of the other items that we wanted to talk about? Cause yeah, were... sure. What, what should we dive into? Should we move on to oh. some discussions? Oh, we pretty much we covered this. We need to have some discussions. Yeah. Well, we kind of covered the, the Star Wars advertising thing that I had written down. But you... I, I feel like we should talk about Christmas. <laughs> Tell, me <more. laughs> Tell me more about your thoughts. What's that? Tell me more about your thoughts. My you're thoughts a, on Christmas. Christmas guy. Well, my thing with Christmas is I try to. I wanted to bring up Christmas on our December podcast specifically because I have a hard time getting into the spirit of Christmas these last few years in particular because my business is full bore one hundred percent all the time going during Christmas it's and it's full bore it's one hundred percent and it's all the time yes all the time full bore one hundred percent got it and it's the problem with it is that is me every six minutes checking sales and consistently, constantly going out and updating my inventories and making sure our order's going to be here on time to fill this other order and make this thing. And do I have to heat the shed long enough so that I can spray paint today? That kind of thing. Do I need to heat the shed? That's yes. also part of the problem. Yes. Do I need to heat the shed? That's an Idaho problem right there. <laughs> um... And so I try to find ways the last few years to try and bring some Christmas into things. And so I thought it'd be kind of interesting to talk to you because we've never really discussed like Christmas together at all. Like if you did anything at Christmas, how you felt about Christmas growing up, that kind of thing. Because you lived in a completely different part of the country than me in terms of weather and that type of thing. I would also say that my... um my holiday traditions were different than, say, what my wife experienced. And right. that's been interesting as well. I would say there's more Christmassy things happening now for me than there were when I was growing up. Okay. Which is not to say that there wasn't the holiday spirit and all of the imagery associated with Christmas. But right. um, I was an only child mm-hmm. in a family without extended family there. Right. So it was just us, right? And so we had the Christmas tree. And the stockings, and there was some music playing and whatever. But, um, I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, but Christmas was one of the two times a year that I got stuff. Right. And I was the same way. Yeah, I didn't get toys throughout the year. Yeah. The way I spoil my children, frankly. (laughs) Um, You know, I I basically, I got got, got some cool stuff on my birthday, and Mm -hmm. I got a haul on Christmas. My parents would go into debt. That's hilarious. My mom would do the same thing. Of stuff, <laughs> I would get all the GI Joes. Nice. Right? I would get all the He-Man, or whatever. And so, 
there's a very distinct thing about that. And I'm not, I mean, as much as I like stuff, um, I can, I can walk away from stuff at any time as an adult, right. I'm not beholden to my things, but I do recognize that as a fairly poor, uh, family where, you know, we didn't have money. Let's put it that way. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you tend to focus on the material when you get it because you generally are not getting it. Right. Right. And I, and all my friends were these very well coming from very wealthy homes and all this other stuff that I've told you about in the past. Yeah. And then, you know, I was the one, I was in a family that didn't have all that stuff that lived in a small apartment and in, in right next to Beverly Hills. Right. It didn't, right. it didn't compute to me in a negative way. I didn't I have envy towards my friends for what they had. It just was a different world. They did. And then I did. Right. But on Christmas day, it was like a bomb goes off in the house. <laughs> I was so damn excited. And so I have very fond memories of that. I love also – I'm a person that – I like suspense. I like surprise. Mm-hmm. I like wondering. You know that about me. A little yeah. bit of the anchor goes a long way, right? Yeah. The idea of the presents being out – my parents did the thing. They put the presents out. Mm-hmm. Most of the presents would be wrapped and they would be under the tree um, for days before nice. the actual celebration. Nice. And, you know, as I got older, I'd start sneaking into them and screwing around, <laughs> shaking them and stuff. But, I, but, I, but I have lots of childhood memories of staring at the packages for day upon day upon right. day. Right. And, and then, of course, the real thrill of in the morning when you come out and you see all the additional shit that's behind the yeah. tree. The big ones or, yeah. you know, all the additional stuff. You know, the cool I, I love shit that, that she was hiding. <laughs> but I would say uh, this was Southern California. Right. So in the 70s, often for Christmas. <laughs> that's so crazy um, to me. <laughs> Yeah, uh, listen, you should see the first time my wife came down for Christmas and you know, it was 79 degrees that year. Right. And everyone in my family and and me, we were all wearing shorts and my <laughs> wife was just like, "What's happening?" <laughs> we don't get snow up here in Northern California, but it, we at least get cold and frost right. and and it's definitely there's enough change to the weather to make you feel there's at least a seasonal winter. shift that right. And yeah. then of course her family is Swiss and so they're coming from, you know, she did a lot of skiing and she's definitely coming from the imagery of uh, a European Christmas. Kind of that old school right. courier and Ives type vibe. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, coming to my parents' house and it was like, you know, hmm, football on and, <laughs> and it's warm and whatever. Right. I, I don't know. So anyway, very different than what she experienced, but that's funny. One key point though, is that uh, I didn't come from a very, I didn't come from a particularly religious family. And so the, there was no mass involved mm-hmm. in Christmas. Um, all of the uh, Judeo-Christian components of the holiday weren't really there. They right. were there in name, but not really in intent. Um, even when I was in Catholic school, mm-hmm. uh, it was all there, but I didn't. it didn't resonate with me in that way. It wasn't imposed upon you or anything like that. And the other thing about it is that, um, you know, I, my family celebrated Christmas on Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. Like, I went to bed and, you know, put the cookies out, whatever, and then go to sleep. And then I woke up in the morning and came down and it's like, you know, and that's it. Open up all the presents. Then some big brunch would be prepared and then the football game would be turned on. Right. Right. (laughs) Um, My wife's family primarily celebrated Christmas on Christmas Eve. Oh, really? So that was an interesting shift for me when we got together because we'd go over to her parents' house and we'd have their, their Christmas was on Christmas Eve. And I was completely unfamiliar with that as a concept and it was really right. interesting it worked out really well because we we're having to share 
we have to split our time between both families. Yeah, so, that works out great, actually. Yeah, for several years, we would leave on Christmas morning and, and fly down to L.A. Mm-hmm. and see my parents. So we have Christmas Eve at her house. And then right. Christmas. Um, so I don't know. I think that's really neat. And so my kids are, are, are being raised in a, an environment. Again, it's not a religious one, but they're mm-hmm. being raised in an environment where the Christmas spirit, the ceremony, all of the spectacle that my wife – right. Her sister, particularly, they really love that stuff. Nice. Um, my kids are being, um, uh, they're be, they're embracing that for a much longer period of time through the month, right? Um, than I really remember feeling as a kid. Mm-hmm. And then they get these two big, you know, they get these the two Christmases. They get the Christmas right. Eve thing and the Christmas Day thing here, which is cool. So yeah, really cool. yeah, that works out really well in that respect. Like we actually ran into problems this year. Um, because every year we're here, my in-laws are here, my mom and brother both live here. And so every year for Christmas, we're like, okay, we got to get up first thing in the morning. We have to go over to Lindsay's parents' house. We have to stay there an allotted amount of time. And then we have to make sure that whatever amount of time we spend there, we have to spend over at my mom's house because you know, they're going to ask when we went over there and when we left and vice versa. And so it would turn into this thing where we would spend five hours here, five hours there and then we'd get home and it would be dark and time for bed kind of thing and so this year we decided we were going to try and do a thing where we just go everybody come over to our house come over we'll do wassail we'll make cookies we'll hang out and drink coffee and play board games and try and get people to come to our house and that's just totally fucking failed what was the first thing that you would do wassail what's that it's a hot beverage it's like cranberry and raspberry and apple cider and cloves and nutmeg and it's excellent. Did you make it up? Uh, no, it's a very traditional thing. You know the here we come a wassailing among the hills again. That's is that going to be edited out or is that in? Hmm. Is that going to be edited out or is that going to be in the podcast? Oh, I don't know about that. It depends <laughs> on how good I sound. <laughs> that's, but hey, that's a whole spinoff segment there. Yes. Holiday Chris drinks. sings carols. <laughs> I didn't have that growing up, no. And in fact, I only had um, mulled wine ah. two years ago or three years ago for the first time. Oh, really? Which is, you know, I don't know, not the same thing as what you're describing. It's not that wonderful, but. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, and Wassel was not a traditional thing for our family. It was something where Lindsay and I were living out, I think we started it here, actually, and and before we moved to Maine, and we just found this, like, old school recipe for it, and I was like, this sounds wonderful, because I'm not a huge apple cider fan. I like hot cocoa, but only in, like, like, within like maybe a cup every once in a while kind of thing. Right. And so there wasn't that traditional wintry beverage for me. And my wife drinks hot cocoa like constantly. It's running through her veins during the winter time. <laughs> and I she saw this recipe ceiling, for right? this and I'm like, this looks really interesting. And it was fairly easy to cook. You just throw everything in the crock pot and let it cook overnight. And it's a really cool, like, like it's kind of got that, that, that nutmeg spice pumpkin yeah. kick to it, but the, the cranberry and there's some lemon juice in there. So it makes it tart and sweet. It's really right. awesome. Actually. I'll be right over. Yes. I'll, I'll float you my recipe. It's really It'll simple. Take 17 hours, but I'll be over. Yeah. Kind of. I, it'll be ready by then. <laughs> so do this. Uh, my coworker um, started talking about something today at work. She she described that she was, couldn't wait to break into her uh, rum chata. 
Ramchada. What is this? And is I thought that, the fruit that she cake? was. Huh? <laughs> is that a fruitcake? Well, no. So I thought she was affecting an accent, an unfortunate, like a uh, Jersey accent. Oh, right. She's talking about some horrible rum chowder. <laughs> oh, God, that sounds terrible. I don't want any of your rum chowder. <laughs> yeah. But then it turns out what it is is, are you familiar with horchata? Oh, yeah. Right? So it's kind of a, a thick a, a thick rice milk. Well, varying degrees of thickness. Right. But it's like a rice right. milk drink. Added rum to it. Interesting. Yeah. So she broke some out and I tasted it. And what it reminded me of is that, uh, when, you know, when I was growing up, my parents would have uh, eggnog right. available in the holidays. And I had that sometimes and it is very flavorful, but mm-hmm. always too creamy and rich Way for me. Way too thick. Rich. Yeah. And then, uh, and then I remember at some point, maybe in college, I started trying when I was home. I put a little of the brandy in that my parents would use. Yeah, okay, I'll put a little brandy in. And I, eh, okay, it's okay. Right. And then at some point, and I think it um, not surprisingly dovetails with having kids and, you know, everything alcohol spikes, right? When you have kids. <laughs> right. All of a sudden there's alcohol in everything. I hate to say it. But um, I started realizing that the more brandy I put in the eggnog to balance it out, the better I liked it. Okay. So now I think I drink brandy with a little bit of eggnog for flavor, but it's good. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. I I've put rum in brand or in I've put rum in brandy before. <laughs> I put rum in eggnog before, and it's pretty solid with that. <laughs> the downward spiral of this podcast. Yeah, I put I mix rum with brandy often. It's pretty excellent. <laughs> Mad Dog Twenty Twenty in there. It's really great. <laughs> That's what I should expect from the guy who introduced me to honey whiskey. Right, right. That's an excellent blend, sir. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so anyway, I have to say, though, um, things like Christmas, I mean, I know you you don't have kids, and and I have these two children here, but um, Christmas, like all the other holidays, is much better with kids. Yeah, yeah, I have to agree. At least it's much better with young kids. As soon as they become insolent, Little shits, you yes. know, as they get a little older and right. like, whatever, they have the headphones in, <laughs> you know, then it's something entirely different. But, um, you know, right now they're full of enthusiasm and excitement about yeah. the concept of holiday. Right. Whether it's Halloween, which is my favorite, or, you know, Thanksgiving or Easter or Valentine's Day. Right. Christmas. They love, even New Year's, they love the spectacle. That's so awesome. And I love experiencing the spectacle through them. So I'm much more engaged in holiday stuff now that, that my kids are old enough to really uh, get into it themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've i always had this secret wish because growing up just like you, um, it was just my mom, me and my brother. And every year my mom would go into Hawk to get us Christmas stuff. Right. And it would always be one of those things where – We'd walk out the morning and there'd be stuff everywhere. We're just like, oh my God, this is like the one time of year we get stuff. It's amazing. I knew there would be a Lego set there and Star Wars stuff and He-Man and G.I. Joe, all the classics. (laughs) And But there was a part of me that always, particularly as I've grown up, I've wished there were kids in the family still kind of thing. Where I don't want kids, but if... There were kids that would hang out Christmas morning and open gifts in front of me. I'd be totally down with that. <laughs> Rental kids. Rental kids. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, you're in that per- you're in that sweet spot of un- like uncledom, right? Right. You, 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 you would you can you can step in on these holidays with the, with the families of friends that have right. kids and everybody else and have a great time and then it's like time to check out. We have <laughs> we have a couple of different groups of friends here in the Bay Area that are like that with us. They love to visit and hang out with our kids and then 
you know, yeah. head back out to their normal lives. So. Right. Well, and like, like my buddy has a kid and they're all into the geeky stuff and everything. And she's the perfect age for it. And they moved just before Christmas this year and they live an hour away now. So it's like, damn it. That was my kid opening gifts option. <laughs> <laughs> These are trying times for deeply. Yes. So but yeah, I, I, there's been a part of the that's, shed and looking for kids to open. Yeah. Gifts yeah. I have hard times growing up here in Christmas land. <laughs> well, that makes it even worse too. When I have to go to both families cause it's like, snowy as hell here every year at Christmas time and his roads are icy so you have to get up and scrape the windows and dig the car out and then drive to one house and then dig the car out again and drive to another and it's just like I want people to come up to my house and hang out we can play board games drink some adult beverages open some lacy stocking nonsense. I don't know what I'm talking about at this point. Lacey Stockings? This is an entirely different tradition. Yeah, this huh? is, my family's very close. <laughs> <laughs> is that, are those oranges and almonds in my pantyhose? <laughs> a really long stocking. We, we typically get a banana and two of those cutie oranges. <laughs> yeah, right. right, right. <laughs> I used to dread all the filler in the stocking. Yeah, all these nuts out of there and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, I reached a certain point, uh, you know, and I suddenly became really obsessed with yeah, opening those that, nuts that with my nutcracker. Point. <laughs> What's that? You hit that tipping point where suddenly it was like, yeah, pecans! <laughs> yeah, suddenly, as soon as I, I, I learned to embrace the nutcracker, the little hand nutcracker, I was like, sweet, nice. give me all those nuts! <laughs> See, my mom growing up, like, she must have spent all year looking for the weirdest shit to put in the stockings. Because it was always, like, like weird candies that you'd never seen before. And, like, she would buy the weirdest stuff, and it was never anything that you would ever, ever use. It was like, look, it's a t-shirt shaped block that turns into a towel. Oh, my God. I'm never going to use this thing. (laughs) That's right. Here's a 1.5 inch square magic magnetic puzzle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh, here's a bookmark that got a little crumpled by the orange in the bottom of it. <laughs> that is one of the things about when you get older and you're doing the stockings um, and your partner knows you really well. Right. Uh, you know, suddenly they become uh, uh, much more functional. Yeah. Like the stuff that's in there is something that you could actually, you might actually be interested in. Because you're not, it's not just filler for the kids now. Right. right. Yeah, it's like, ooh, memory foam buds for my earbuds. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Lacy bits in my lacy bits. Perfect. Right. Yeah, for Lindsay last year, I bought her a collection of little purse-sized pouches that had, like, a microfiber cloth for glasses and, like, Q-tips for all, like, for her travel bag. And in the very last one, a month beforehand, she's really bad at keeping track of her wedding ring. And for years now, it's had a cracked emerald on it. And so I took it and took it to a jeweler a month ago, and she's like... Three weeks before Christmas, she's like, I can't find my wedding ring anywhere. Have you seen it? It's like, no, I haven't seen it in quite a while, actually. And I put that in one of the the stocking things so that she got to open her new wedding ring with the fixed rock on it. But 
But that's the other thing we have issues with, with the shop being the way it is, is we really don't have any money until after Christmas anymore. And so it's one of those things like, like this year, I think I have one gift for her and she'll be mad that I bought that kind of thing. It's like, we want to be in the Christmas spirit, but really we haven't celebrated Christmas in years now. Prior to the shop, I was working for Walgreens and I would work every single Christmas without fail because I was the only one that didn't have kids. Right. And so they would make me work and so that everybody else could be home with their children. And so I haven't really ever celebrated Christmas with my wife since we got married. So, well, you know, I've been trying to tell, uh, uh, friends that, you know, this year let's either just, just, if you want to bring something, a gift for the kids when you come over, that's totally enough. Yeah. If at all, um, but if we are really going to exchange gifts, uh, keep it Legos and and alcohol. Right? <laughs> you can't go wrong. I because approve honestly, Chris, of I those rules. <laughs> I mean, I don't. First of all, I think needs and wants are two very different things. Absolutely. But I neither need nor want anything. Right? Yeah. I'm I'm I'm, I'm perfectly content in my life. I've got, you know, I've got anything that I would really, you know, have a hankering for. Right. Uh, it's it's right. not a problem. And. So, Certainly, anything that's within the price range of somebody buying you a gift that's well, reasonable. Sure. Yeah, and I, like, and I like creative gifts, and I and I like thoughtful thoughtful gifts, and I like handmade stuff, and I like all that stuff. But but what I don't have is this like compelling need to just get stuff. Right? Yeah. So what I like is the idea of uh, theme gifts and oh, nice. like that. I love the idea that you know, oh, we just give each other whiskey every year, that kind of thing. Right. But, you know, I don't know. Everybody has their own approach about what they're going to what they want to give and how they want to approach that. And, and I've been always been very fortunate that I have very thoughtful friends that come up with really great, great ideas. And yeah, I think that's that really cool. My wife and I are, you know, seem to be the same way. In fact, I have a friend who even managed to send me blind bag Lego minifigs on, <laughs> on Christmas that were perfectly, perfectly somehow mysteriously, uh, you know, selected for me. That friend has dropped the ball this year because he can't find any of the bags anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> you did a great job, and that was before I realized, you know, I think I told you this last time, but my, my wife ended up going the same route as you. <laughs> I didn't know that you were looking up codes and finding Standing in the storm, filling store. up the sacks. <laughs> right, yeah. So I didn't, I didn't really realize that there was this whole mechanism behind figuring out what was in the poly bags. Um, and then... And then when my wife got interested in getting the kids the My Little Pony figures, uh, yeah. she fell into that on the internet. And she's like, what? There's codes? And so pretty soon she was ordering all of these figures off of eBay <laughs> people, you know, with the specific codes in the bag. Right. And now yeah, I get it. It's, it's that pretty first, funny. That, that one time when you sent me the robot with the, you know, the robot Lego guy with the, with the little wrench, I was right. like, how did he do it? How did he do this? <laughs> this is impossible. <laughs> Well, and it's funny because those guys have eliminated the codes on the bags now. And so it's strictly by feel. But every time before the minifigs come out or just after, someone compiles a list of each of the figures and what to feel for. So it's like, like, okay, if the robot comes with a gun and it's got one of those long, clear pegs, you look for that long, clear bar because there's no feature to it. And it'll be down in the corner of the bag so you can find that and be like, oh, robot kind of thing. It's... It's pretty awesome, but geeky as hell at the same time. <laughs> I, I love the concept of these blind box and blind bag toys. Um, it 
it appeals. I'm very much the target market. It appeals to the collector sensibility in Absolutely. me. Absolutely. It appeals to the mystery, the wanting to know, the, the surprise, <laughs> what it might be, and then not being able to stop the compulsion when right. you don't go on you. Um, and for that reason, ever since this started with the little box, the little uh, cardboard boxed ones from right. Japan or whatever it was, uh, I very wisely stayed the hell away from them. <laughs> and it's only been some blind bag stuff that I've gotten for the kids. Right. And I've been participating in it just because, you know, I'm getting it and I give it to the kids. Right. Like right. Yeah, those but, cardboard uh, box ones are dangerous because there's, like, no way of knowing what you're getting out of those. And they're just... And they're always very expensive, too. They so are. They're, they're so much more expensive, just even just from a packaging standpoint. And... So while we're on the subject of toys... Yes, sir. Let's let's hop subjects just slightly and jump to what your favorite gift was as a kid. You mean across all the years? Or the yeah, days? yeah. What was that one item that you're like, oh my god, this was the coolest thing I ever got? That's a really good one. Well, <laughs> I'll tell you. Um, I think... You know, that's that's a really tough one. I don't remember <laughs> ever – I don't remember being able to pinpoint a specific thing, a specific year and saying, well, that was the money one. That was right. the one that killed me. Um, but I have a general sense of it that, um, you know, I, like I was really big into the G.I. Joes. I allowed right. the G.I. Joes, right? And I remember that – some of the bigger vehicles, when I got them, that was the real thrill. Yeah. Because that's the only way you were going to get a hovercraft, which is one of my favorites. Right. Was, it was a, the, the money shot Christmas gift at the end, right? My, yeah. Um, and that was the case with some Star Wars stuff, too. I don't remember. I had the Millennium Falcon, maybe. Nice. I had the X-Wing. I'm, and I had Boba Fett's ship, Slave oh, One. Yeah, or, Slave One. But, but, uh, but I didn't... Um, and, and maybe friends had the Millennium Falcon, and that was too rich for my blood. Yeah. I know I had the – I think the biggest G.I. Joes that I got were the Hovercraft one year. Nice. And so the – what was uh, – I guess it was an F-15 Eagle. Yes, that was – my brother right. had that. The, that was like his favorite thing ever. Yeah. The swing things and everything. Yeah. Uh, so I remember those very strongly. Um, and then also what I remember is the – the years, I remember a couple of incidents where it, it was a, a fail, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like for example, uh, and I, and I'm not disparaging my parents for this. I mean, it's just <laughs> the way it is, right? I'm going to be failing plenty on things. They do so, what they can. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think about the fact that I'm barely, already my kids are into things that I don't know what they're talking about because Netflix, they just dive onto a new cartoon. And next thing I know, I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so yeah, it's very quickly. Um, I think I'm already entering the world of I'm disappointing my kids with their Christmas gifts. But anyway, um, one year I was really, I had really gotten into paintball. So I was in high school. Oh, okay. Really into paintball. And um, I had basically, I don't know how this arrangement had worked out, but basically what I did was I took uh, the, I went to a paintball store and I, Specked out a custom rig. Okay, I was kind of this, I was a sniper, right? So I had right long, the long barrel and everything else and the big chair. So I specked this whole thing out, had it had it in my name, gave it to my parents, said that's what I want, just that, nothing else, just that. And it seemed like that was a done deal that it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And then the morning of, 
I'm looking around. There was no box that was of suitable size, but then there was a there was a long rectangular box that was relatively gun like. And my parents, by the way, were never they didn't ever let me play with guns. Right. It was bad. A laser a laser pistol was the worst it was going to get, and that was right before the laser tag disaster where kids were being killed. Oh yeah, cops. Um. So, in the end, uh, I opened it up and it was a Thundercats ping pong ball launcher. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just so crushed about it. That is epically awesome. <laughs> well, I, I had a few of those kinds of experiences that now as an adult, I look back on that and I totally laugh, right? But right, like, right. No, but at the time, not- it was just absolutely tragic. <laughs> what about you? Um, I would say, God, mine is kind of the same situation where it was like, okay, I have a couple of these these Star Wars things that I want so bad, and I don't know that I'll actually get them, but I I would have to say the Snowspeeder was probably my favorite gift growing up. I loved the the snow scene from Empire anyway, and yep. that that I loved how it had the two different seats in it, and it was just it was super durable and. I don't know. I really dug that one. How it had the the grappling hook off the back that you could wrap shit up in. And I love that toy. Oh, so and that great! Was one of the reasons I made that Lego recently. Yeah, was just, yeah. I that. But I didn't. You know, just watching Empire recently, I was really struggling with why they were back to back, and why the guy, why the guy in the back is the gunner to launch these purpose built grappling hooks. <laughs> yeah, it was awfully convenient for the adats that they knew were coming. But then at the same time. The forward pilot is the one who is art, who is yelling at them to do the launch. Right. And then the forward pilot is the one who is releasing it or something. Right, right? which is really odd, yeah. Yeah, it was know. like yeah, the, that. Like the, the forward pilot drove and shot the front lasers and then right. told the guy in the back what to do. And the back monkey's just like, I can't see, so I guess I'll just shoot when he tells me to. Are you okay? <laughs> Everything's fine. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I would say that's probably, like, toy. the one guess, gift that I was like, oh, my God, this is so cool. I never expected to get it. And it turned out to be as cool as I thought it was going to be kind of thing. I always really wanted the AT-AT. I did, too. That's probably my white whale. Of yeah. all of the toys I wanted growing up, the AT-AT was the one thing that I never got. I never got the AT-AT, but I did get an, uh, an ATST. The ATST was and cool. I, and I loved it all throughout my childhood, all the way into my teen years. Nice. And once I got into uh, Robotech and Macross, oh, yeah. it substituted for a Battleoid. You know, it, it, sub- <laughs> it, it substituted That's for a Zentrati. That's pretty appropriate, yeah. I loved it. I love that toy. Yeah, I and they did such a good job with that toy too, where its legs weren't wobbly and it didn't fall over all the time like I'd expected it to. Yeah, yeah. that one's definitely like like I never got the ad at and so the ATST and the Hoth were definitely the the Snowspeeder were definitely adversaries quite often. <laughs> yes. And I loved with the ATST that you would press the button at the back and it would make it Yeah, the, the leg kicking yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. That was great. <laughs> it was so funny. That was super great. I loved um I really liked the Bespin irrational twin twin uh I never had that one, vehicle. but it was cool design. Yeah, I had that one. I really liked it. And I never and I feel like I didn't have but wanted the um the Endor cycle with the, uh, oh, the yeah. cycle. particularly with, I like the one, I like the, um, the scout, 
the Empire Scout. Yeah, the Scout was cool that guy. Yeah. And I had that figure, but I don't think I ever had the uh, the speeder itself. We the each actual... got one of those. I remember pretty distinctly one year we each got a speeder bike and we got the Ewok Village. Uh-huh. Which was like... Sorry to hear that. Uh, yeah, well, it was actually really fun, though, dude. That that playset was pretty awesome. It had, like, the stake where you could twist Han over the fire and little <laughs> escape things and real ropes. And it, it was a lot more interactive than a lot of the other Star Wars playsets were. Yeah, I can totally see that. Um, in fact, my, my obsession with that speeder bike... Uh, came back on me hard because when I was looking for birthday gifts for Mateo, uh-huh. that's what it was. Um, I stumbled across at target. Someone had told me that Toys R Us was a disaster because I had been to Toys R Us a couple of times and, and, uh, I didn't really like the star Wars, um, assortment that they had. They had oh, a lot okay. of mixed merchandising of star Wars stuff, but right. it wasn't yeah, they, like, they come with like these bonus kits now where you get like five different figures or something like that. Yeah. But the thing was, I remember growing up at Toys R Us was, Aisle upon aisle of blister packs with action figures on it. Like right. it was the whole certainly there were ones that you were trying to find that you couldn't find. Right. Uh, limited run ones, but 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 by and large it was the whole collection was on the wall and you just kind of go through it and look which ones you want. Yeah. Now Toys R Us have so many different types of products and so many lines that they have a little bit of each one. Right. And so like there was very few. There were like two or three uh Force Awakens action figures. Right. And the rest were all these other things related to the, you know. It's all- so strange to me. Yeah, it's like they give, like, just the main action figures, which people actually want, like, like eight inches of space that are, that's like four feet tall kind of thing. It's strange to me. Yeah, and, like, why wouldn't they have a ton of the main characters? Right. Right? But it. I can't imagine that that they are doing the short supply things for exclusivity. It's no. just it's like they made everything in the same in the same amounts. They ran yeah. out of the but you know, months before the movie was out, they've already run out of all the the desirable characters and now it's all the fringe guys. I don't That's know. That's pretty crazy, yeah. But I went to Target because I was told that they had a better selection from mm-hmm. another uh, friend who like an adult toy collector. Right. And and sure enough they did. They had a lot of of uh a lot more action figures and, and vehicles and everything else. And I found the first order version of that speeder bike. Oh, right on. And there's a, you know, like a black suited rider with a black, a black first order helmet Really? on a, on a jet black speeder bike. And I was like, Oh, that's and awesome. I almost got it. And then in the end I was like, well, and then I didn't, I didn't buy it for whatever reason. <laughs> I was close. <laughs> nice. All right, I think we are hitting kind of a good stopping spot right now. I think what we'll do is we'll come back with part two of this episode and cover some more Christmas traditions. We'll do our picks and some reviews and have a couple of little surprises coming up. But I think for now, this episode will take a break for a moment. Chris, I want you to know that you're the brandy in my eggnog. Oh, you're the brandy in my rum. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. We'll be back with more Deeply Dapper Dispatches and Tom in a future podcast. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.